0: What's going on? What's going on? Jay Sutton, I am with another episode of the Destroying Dot Podcast. How do you say back in Spanish? You got me. No, I'm like Yo no, like on that one. I'm going to work on that one. I'm going to work on that one. But I'm back, feeling good. I feel like it's been a long time, man. I just came back off doing the two-part episode, so... Uh, took a little break, feel like it's been a long time but I'm back, I'm feeling good I got company, that's why, That's how we say it in the Carolinas, I'm from the Carolinas we got company in the company. house uh, my man Chris is here with me a repeat offender and I say repeat <laughs> offender because most of the time when people come on my show they get a little ignorant and I encourage them <laughs> so, most some, definitely some of you may have been offended by the ignitosity. <laughs> Uh, y'all like that? I like that. I, I need I my like sound that. effects, man. But some of you may have been offended by the ignitosity, so that's why I say repeat offender. But Chris, man, welcome back to the show. Chris Buckman, for those of you that don't know, how you doing, man? Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Throw them
1: sound effects real quick. No, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm glad glad to be back. It's probably about the only time a black man can be be happy about being a repeat offender. So. <laughs>
0: Uh, so yes, thank you. Yeah, I definitely missed the boat on that uh bad stereotype I just threw out there. I might get a couple emails. You might, that. you might get a couple tweets on that one. Yeah, but it's all good though. It's all good. Most man. definitely. Look, man. Uh, I want to start here before we get into everything. You know, because since I am media now and I am sports media now, there it is. Um. Uh, did, did I tell you I was doing something in ESPN Orlando, too? You, 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 did.
1: Okay, you did. Okay. I did. But okay. you didn't get the full picture. But you did say you're
0: working on ESPN radio. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. But uh, I wanted to start here with LeBron, L.A. How you feeling? Whew. To be honest, I don't know how to feel.
1: I'm kind of two minds about it. Mm-hmm. It's To me, it's very interesting that he's starting out with L.A. now. And it's essentially a position he's never been in. Because before, when he went to Miami, he built the super team. And now he's coming in and it's like, he's the vet. He, before he had Dwayne Wade. Now he's that guy that's yeah. got to take the young players and build them up and everything like that so it's gonna be interesting i'm excited for sure and i think it's gonna be a blast just because of the energy he brings you already know the city's money is all it's already big anyway but with lebron being there it's just gonna be huge and i'm just
0: excited to see what moves they make too yeah uh I'm I'm still a little up in the air about it, man. You know, I'm a diehard Lakers fan. Day one, man. Been riding with Lakers forever. Yeah. And I feel a little funny about it being a a, a Kobe fan. Kobe, my favorite. Oh, yeah. Player ever. <laughs> um, right. But I do respect LeBron, man. And I, I like to look at things. I'm an idealistic person. Yeah. Person. I'm, a, I'm you know, I'm an idealist. And so I look at things outside of basketball, man. It's so True. much bigger than basketball. And – I look at it like, this man played in Cleveland almost his whole career. Yes. Would you want to retire and be like, man, I wish I would have went and played in L.A.? Exactly. You Exactly. Know Especially in professional sports. It's a short career. Yes. You know, you look back out, man, what could I have done if I would have went and played for the Lakers? And I think that's something that we all can apply, that we can think about it. Like Exactly. This man said, you know what? It's about my family. They want to live in L.A. It's mm-hmm. a better opportunity for my family. Let's do it. I'm, I'm going to be great wherever I go anyway. So, True. True. I, I respect that, and I think that's something that we all can apply because we're all so scary all the time. And mm-hmm. he, he was like, you know what? I'm LeBron. I'm going to L.A. I want to play in L.A. My family wants to be in L.A. Let's do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And with that, you know, I respect that. But also I respect the fact that he's, he's answering a lot of people's criticisms. So people always said, well, LeBron played in the East. You know, right. it's soft in the East. It's, it's cupcake. You know, a cakewalk. Exactly. Wall. Okay. All right. Well, here, to look. We're going to that, the West. That was fair, though. <laughs> huh? That was fair. Yeah, <laughs> I, absolutely.
1: I gotta say, but I'm I ain't mad though.
0: I'm the. I, I consider myself a LeBron uh, defender sometimes. But yeah. When people throw that the East Conference thing, at, yeah. I'm like, I eh, start scratching my head. Um, but he's like, you know what, take this, going to the West. There you go. All right. So people say he always got to play on the super team. He got to have the best players on the team. You know what? I'm playing with Brandon Ingram and, and these young boys and, yeah. and Lonzo Ball and them. Now yeah. what y'all got to say. You know what I'm saying? So he's competing. Yeah. And, you know, if they do happen to get some, some top-notch players like Kawhi come next year or whatever, it's not mm-hmm. like... He went there first. Like, yo, I'm going to try to do it with these young boys. So, right. And I'm going to put the ball in your court, Magic Johnson. You build around me. Right. Luke Walton, you coach me. Right. You know what I'm saying? Everybody said I got to control everything. Look, shut up. I'm here to play ball. I'm here for my family. I'm here to win. Let's get it. So Exactly. Uh, I yeah. respect it on a lot of fronts, but
1: uh, we'll see. Yeah, from the legacy perspective, I agree. Because yeah. I thought that when he went back to Cleveland he went back for good mm. because there's nothing like legacy like think about MJ you immediately think about him in Chicago did he go play with the Wizards yes but most people just act like that, yeah, like, part that didn't, didn't even happen yeah, yeah, yeah. but man that just made me think about Jay Williams he was talking about how MJ dropped 50 older when he was with the Wizards yes. or whatever. so I mean you know yeah. he was still MJ but still just for legacy purposes I kind of wanted to see him stay in in Cleveland. But at the same time, I'm excited, like I said, because I think just him having that legacy is going to be different now because essentially I'm looking at it like he's going to win a championship. So I've heard it said that his legacy is going to be everywhere he go. He, he won a championship. championship, yeah. So he could be thinking about it like that too. He could be thinking about it from the perspective of the era we live in too, like how the old NBA guys wanted to play against each other. Guys didn't want to be friends. They didn't want to be on super teams. They yeah. wanted to beat their rivals or whatever. And then also if you look at just the job market, back back in the day, people used to be with one company. I was just high. I was just get about to the gold. That. man, great minds think alike, man. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, where nowadays you know, your brand, Can you can go to any company. You know, it's all about your talent. It's all about your, your, your skill set. It's all about your personality. You can take that and work any company and still get paid. So I think in terms of just how things operate now, I think he, from that perspective, I think he's falling in line with that too. So uh,
0: I, we'll see. I think that that one team thing has quickly faded away and it'll be a thing of the past. Just, mm-hmm. just like you said, it used to be, you start at a company, you die at that company. Exactly. Now, I think the average, I think it's like two to four years that people stay somewhere. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So, like, nobody really cares anymore. People mm-hmm. are doing them, and I'm a do-me type guy, so I like it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know same here. I think it's a millennial thing is what they say, so <laughs> I'll take it. But uh, last sports question i ask you is uh, boogie. Oh. Boogie to the Warriors. How, how you feel about that? Wow
1: wow that's huge but what i'll say about it too is he's still coming out that injury though so like we covered last time we met through physical therapy so i know what it's like coming back from a torn achilles let me tell it, it's you no something.
0: joke let me tell you something it's no joke jay sutton with a bad knee is better than half the dudes on the back. Oh, my goodness. So, Boogie Cousins with one Achilles is yes. five times better than JaVale McGee. True. So. Definitely. Oh, no, no. I fully
1: agree. But I just think when people have that vision of him at the start of the season, he's not going to be that guy, I don't think, because he got to work his way back and then work his way in, back into NBA shape for his standards. So, it's going to take a little time, but ultimately – Wow, I had to give him big props because he was the one that reached out. And the whole story that I've been hearing is that nobody else in the NBA made him an offer. Yeah. And he was just sitting back like, okay, well, if y'all ain't going to make me an offer, I'm going to pick up the phone. And he picked up the phone and he made the trade happen.
0: Well, so I think he did get an offer, but it I think if I'm not mistaken, it's from like New Orleans, the team he was with, but it was like one of those offers like you didn't just beast out for us. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like two years, two years, 48 million. Or so I can't remember. Don't get right. the line. But it wasn't like, yo, you're Boogie Cousins. Exactly. So he was like, you know what? Let me take a, a minimum deal or one yeah. year to prove that I'm Boogie Cousins. Right, right. So, But I think the Warriors
1: were the only one yeah. that took him up on that. Yeah. And he had to call them. So I'm excited, to be honest. I really am because I think as far as for how the Warriors – play ball, it's gonna be interesting to see him in the lineup and just see how how much he changes their game. And then too, I'm excited for him because this is his opportunity to prove we love underdogs. So in a way he's an underdog coming back from that injury and then his personality, issues that he's had in the past with the teams and coaches and things like that. I think that him being in that environment with the Warriors and the fact that he's playing for that big time contract I think people are going to see really what he can do yeah. in that type of environment like we were talking about culture
0: yeah it's a that's, little bit
1: different culture right yeah that's the so, right culture to be in right? exactly yeah. so I'm excited man I'm excited I can't believe that I'm like in a lot of ways I think about it like man how did the Warriors get so lucky yeah. I'm like every time you turn around like they drafted people that just he just happened to turn into Steph Curry yeah. One of the
0: greatest shoes of all time. Oh, they just happened to draft Klay Thompson. So, it's just interesting, man. So, hey, yeah. I'm excited. And and the last thing I'll say is it's really difficult for me next season because Kevin Durant is my favorite player. Right. But he does not play for the Lakers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not True. a Warriors fan. True. I'm a Kevin Durant fan. True. Uh, but oh. LeBron is on the Lakers. So oh. I want to see that my Lakers win. Oh. But I want to see KDB. So it's kind of difficult. And when it as it pertains to uh to KD, you know, I'm a I'm a fundamental guy. I'm a skills guy. I right. love the skill and the fundamental of basketball. And I, you know, I like training younger people on the skills and fundamental basketball. So right. if I was to train someone young on basketball, I would teach them to play like Kevin Durant, not LeBron James. And that's no slight at LeBron. What I mean by that is LeBron is a freak of nature. He's 6'9", 2", whatever, jump over a a building. And, you know, he uses athleticism a lot. Kevin Durant, if you look at his game – Now, mind you now, he's 7' foot tall with a handle and cat-like speed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're probably not going to have that either. But – at any height, if you can perfect the skills and fundamental of basketball like Kevin Durant has, mm-hmm. you, you'll do good. So um, that's why KD is like so huge in my eyes. But uh, we'll see how it plays out in my emotions. But I ain't about to go on a, a, a two-hour rant about my basketball emotions. But uh, we'll save that for my sports podcast that's coming up soon and on the Hispanic Radio. But anyway, um, my guest here today, he's been on the show before. Um, I'm trying not to eat up all his time talking about sports. Um, His name is Chris Buckman. We were in the military together. And if you go back and listen to the show, I can't remember what episode it was, but the the title of the show was Paying It For It. And on the show, we talked about how when I was in my darkest moments and I was dealing with injuries, as we're talking about sports or whatever, as I'm dealing with injuries and I'm dealing with depression and uh, all this anxiety, all this kind of stuff I'm dealing with, um, one thing that helped me was his energy. Going to physical therapy every day and meeting with him, and just his energy uplifting me. And it, you know, his energy that he gave to me allowed me to build my energy up and get not only get through what I was going through, but give that same energy back out into the world to others. Yeah. And so, what I didn't know, and what you all didn't know, because we didn't talk about on the last podcast, what we want to talk about. Now, on this podcast on this episode is the fact that he was dealing with his own individual struggle, his own individual uh, issues that he was dealing with. that I didn't know. There's no way you could have told me that this man was going through what he was going through because of the energy and the positivity that he was giving off. And so that's what we want to talk about today, Uh, what he was going through and how he was able to smile throughout and how he was able to still help others throughout what he was going through. So, Chris, I'm going to give you the floor. I'm going to shut up, something that I haven't done uh, too good at so far. But <laughs> I'm going to shut up and it just allow you to walk us through that situation, man.
1: Man, it would take multiple shows for me to actually walk through all of it. But you really hit on the basics very well because I always look at it like this. Like they say, treat people how you want to be treated. Right. But I look at it like the platinum rule, treat people the way they want to be treated. And so when I looked at life that way. Hey, I might be feeling a certain way, but. I want you to feel how you want to feel in my presence, which is special, important, unique, unique appreciate it and always had that in the back of my mind and at the front of my mind at the same time. So whatever I'm going through personally, I'll deal with it, but at the same time, I'm glad you're here. I'm just that kind of person and I'm a positive individual. And that's what's so so crazy about it because when you were coming into physical therapy and was getting that uh, bum knee worked on, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah, it was a bum knee. I was like, oh, man, I don't know how you're going to hit the court again with this one, but uh, we're going to do what we're going to do. But at the same time, when you were coming in, I know you were going through your stuff, and we didn't necessarily get deep into the depression thing or the anxiety thing. We touched on it, but at the same time, we didn't go into deep discussions in there about it. But I knew something was going on. Yeah. But like I told you before, I could tell you still had... You had some kind of gift. I could tell that you were special. So again. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Hold up. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. What, what kind of special uh, we talking about here? Oh <laughs> man, he's talking about the short bus. No, nah, <laughs> not at all, not at all. No, nah, I meant that in the most positive way, my brother. Okay, all right. Yeah, I meant you were talented. You had that you had that uh, that Bruce Leroy going on. Okay, you had all that right. glow. All right. And even though I was feeling the way I was feeling, feeling down feeling depressed, uh, dealing with anxiety and what I would later come to learn, post-traumatic stress disorder, no matter what I was feeling and what I continue to feel, I still want to put out the best in life. I still want to put people in a place where they feel like, hey, no matter what's going on, wow, at least I know somebody cares. At least I know somebody still sees greatness in me, even though I may not be feeling it at the time. And for myself, I was in a dark place. And and many, many times, many days, and many times I still am. But it's all good. So uh, I deployed to Afghanistan, going to how this all first started. And my job is physical therapy in the States. It's all outpatient. So, essentially, every patient walks in and they walk out. Uh, The worst injury I might see is a post-op shoulder surgery or a knee surgery. At worst. So, oh, I'm getting hit up. Excuse me, y'all. But that would be the worst thing I would see.
0: Hey, look, we ain't editing this neither, sir. Nah, nah, nah.
1: Oh, and then... And then, guess what, y'all? It's a bill collector. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be positive, though. I'm going to be positive. (laughs) But no. um, So, that's what I do in the States. All patients walk in walk out, more or less. And when I was deployed, it was the exact opposite. They ended up putting me in... Inpatient care. Look, now I'm going See? Boom. It's contagious. (laughs) It's like a yawn or a sneeze. You know what I mean? My phone blowing up. Your phone blowing up. Matter of fact, I might have hit you up just now. (laughs) (laughs) Man, what is going on in the booth today, y'all? I don't even know. I don't even know. But so when I got there, I mean, first of all, just on the way there, let me start with that. When I hit Kyrgyzstan and I went and got my body armor and everything like that, I'm still cool. I'm like, I'm in Kyrgyzstan. This is cool and everything. But when I got on that plane and they're like, all right, we flying in Afghanistan. Whew, boy, that was something. Because when you when you fly into the country, they shut all the lights off and they do what they call like a combat landing which is a uh, quick descent with the
0: lights off. I got to cut you off for one second. Cause I had Eric on the show and he started going in Yeah, and I was like, are you sure you can talk about what you're talking about? Right. right, now? right. So I just want to make sure yeah. that you're good on what you're talking yeah. about. Okay. All right. I just, I just touched on it. People got
1: to go, you got to go Google it. If you can find them what it is, I ain't going to tell you all <laughs> the ins and now. So I'm going to just hit you with the basics. Okay. All right. So when I, we land in country getting off the plane, it's like, go, 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 go. get to uh, It's hot. You know what I mean? And me, I was not ready for that. I was just a young airman, had only been in the military for three years, and now I'm in the war zone, which there's a reason why I came in the Air Force, because I was not expected to be going <laughs> to the war zone. Yeah, I figure yeah. the Air Force is the chair force. Yeah. I'm going to be the furthest thing away from the front lines. Lo and behold, there you are. There I was. Yeah. And I remember going into the hospital, and they told me I was going to be taking care of inpatients and acute patients. So basically worked in the ICU. And all of my patients that I had were blast injury type patients, or patients that got shot multiple times, or patients that stepped on an IED, or they were in a Hummer or an MRAP and got And got blown up or something like that. Mm -hmm. So for me, not being the person that's used to dealing with that, wow. It was traumatic to say the least. And not only that, just being in an environment where you never knew each second could be your last. Literally. There are plenty of times where I was walking down the road going from my sleeping quarters into work and alarms went off. Bombs came and hit the base. It could be during the day. It could be in the middle of the night. I'm talking like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. A bomb hits right next to you or whatever, and you got to go run. So it was just so much uncertainty. in being in that environment, you just never knew what was going on. So it was just a lot to deal with. I took care of some... Uh, let's just say some insurgent type patients as well. So
0: dealing with that, that Hold challenge up. of break it down. Cause, uh, uh, the, the listeners may not know. And the hell I don't even know. Cause the way my Air Force crew is, so, uh, <laughs> insurgents, that don't sound yeah. like good guys. No, they're not. They're so, not. They're bad guys. So you had to, to treat on the bad guys too. Yeah. 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 So they tried to get on base, or how did? Or they just got caught out there somewhere? Or what, how did, A little bit of both. Uh-huh. A little bit of both. Uh, so yeah,
1: they're bad guys. So we talking Taliban and Al Qaeda? Uh, hold on, really. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I wanted that to sink in. That's why. I so.
0: It- Let's just say you're <laughs> fixing up on a Taliban member Al Qaeda or whatever. Like, how does that cover? like how you doing today, Mr. Taliban guy? you, know what, I'm uh, is, you know, is, know what I'm saying? Is he saying some bad stuff to exactly. you? Exactly. Oh, okay. Exactly. Right. I can just yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So can you imagine being somebody from this country, America, and we all remember where we were when the Twin Towers went down. And can you imagine the magnitude of that moment? being burned into your memory and you know the enemy who's responsible for it. Allegedly. Allegedly, <laughs> yes. And then you go into this environment where you know this enemy, Al Qaeda and Taliban, are killing Americans and injuring them with, you know, uh, causing them to be amputees or causing them to deal Maybe with making the ultimate sacrifice. And I had to take care of that person.
0: So do you take care of them and you send them back on their way so they can come back and shoot at you? Or you take care of them and they go to jail? You know, was so crazy, it was a little bit of both. Come on, man.
1: I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. Sounds like a a game to me, but go ahead. Exactly. (laughs) So for myself, you know, it was real emotional uh, just knowing that at any moment, I could be gone, whether it's uh, walking down the street and, hey, the enemy's right there. And next thing you know, we in a gunfight Uh, or like in the middle of night, we had enemies that were shooting mortar rounds and things like that, trying to blow up, you know, our assets and stuff like that. So you just never knew. And then for those same individuals to then be brought into the hospital and us taking care of them. It was tough. It was tough. It really was. So just the emotion of, I never knew when I was going to die, basically. And then at the same time, the people, very people that just sent a rocket my way when it could have killed me. And now I've got to take care of that person. Yeah, it's it's a head head game.
0: I need to steal something. It's a head game. I need to steal something from your brain real quick. And I'm going to try to take it from you and give it to my listeners as well. Okay. I'm going to share it with them because we all go through rough spots in life. And we all go through stuff in life and we feel like no one else in the world is going through this. And we're just in the worst condition ever, right? Right. And then two weeks later, it go past and we're like, man, I was crying about that. But anyway, I need to know what your mindset was what positive thing were you telling yourself to get through that because like i said we all go through stuff but i'm pretty sure whoever's listening to this unless you were in the military and you were deployed you weren't getting uh bombs thrown at you so right. you know what i'm saying that's right. next level stress exactly. you know what i'm saying that's next level whatever you want to label it uh negatively that you were going through so what was your mindset to get through that during that time My mindset was really appreciation.
1: I know the listeners have heard that saying you don't know what you got until it's gone Mm -hmm. or what you had until it's gone. Mm -hmm. So when I thought about being in that situation where at any minute a bomb could come in and that could be it for me, it really gave me an appreciation for life in a way I never had before. And that's one of the reasons why, even though I was in that position, and even though I have health issues because of being in that position, at the same time, I really do appreciate that being there because it gave me a great gift because I I realized how precious life was. It was literally every single second was life and death. Mm. Either I was taking care of somebody, you know, one of our troops who, like I said, I knew they were gonna die or like i had a 20 year old army guy who lost all four of his limbs um just just the reality of that and you see how fragile life is on a daily basis it just gave me this great respect for for life and just every moment and just try my best even in the worst situation to try to keep it positive even if it wasn't always positive so
0: Stuff that uh, us, I just, us civilian folk take for granted, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and,
1: hey, you know, and I was the same way. Yeah. You know, oh, man, my favorite show got interrupted by whatever. Or, oh, man, my iPod ain't working. Well, we don't got iPods no more, do we? Nobody don't really have no iPod. iPhone. Yeah. Oh, man, it's time for an upgrade with the iPhone or whatever it may be. Those kind of things that may be perceived to be a big deal, in the grand scheme of things in terms of how bad it could be you got two legs man that's minuscule you got two
0: legs you got arms and
1: fingers and toes exactly the only thing that probably wake the average listener up is going to be an alarm clock or screaming baby you know that's pretty much it not mortar not mortars right not explosions um so yeah you know it's just one of those things that that's what that's what it really did for me it just really gave me an appreciation for life and then also seeing the conditions that the Afghan population at large had to deal with because I mean in Afghanistan, there are a couple cities where people have money and you know resources and everything like that and go to school and everything but in a lot of the country is very very poor you know uh, the average Afghan citizen did not even own shoes they didn't own like multiple they didn't have like a wardrobe yeah you know so they didn't have toothbrushes they didn't have toothpaste they didn't have soap in a lot of areas they didn't have electricity they didn't have running water so some of some of the casualties that i had to deal with that weren't you know enemies and they were just hey little kids like for example you know the youngest patient i had was two years old and that little kid saw what he thought was of a, a can, a soda can on the ground. Went to pick it up and it turned out being an IED. And that little kid lost his arm, you know. So just dealing with things like that every day and seeing that, it just it just made me want to make sure that each moment that I'm here and each moment I get to spend around other people. I want to try to make it the best moment that I possibly can.
0: You know what I mean? I, I want to piggyback off that really quickly. Um, I have this crazy belief. And mm-hmm. if you say, Jay, you're crazy, I don't agree with you. I wouldn't be mad at all. But <laughs> right, it's a crazy idea that I have in my mind that, you know, we get caught up on Democrat, Republican. and Yeah. Who's in the president is going to make the world a better place oh. or whatever. I personally believe that it all boils down to the people. Yes. And it boils down to compassion for one another. Yes. And until we begin to understand other cultures and have compassion for their struggle and their fight and help each other, I don't think that it matters on the, on the grand scheme of things. I think yeah. that has to be like at the forefront. Exactly. In and in a crazy example that I have in my mind is something that I was always so passionate about was, and I still am to a degree, is uh, college athletes being paid. Right, I feel that college athletes should be paid for all the money that they generate to the school. Some schools yeah. probably wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for the football program or the basketball program or vice versa. Yeah. Um, And they're, it, whatever, we can get into a long conversation about that. I'm not going to do that. But I stopped one day and I said, those same athletes, most of them are wearing Nike, Under Armor whatever the brand may be. Right. If you told that athlete that those Nike shoes that they're wearing were being built, were being put together, produced in a sweatshop in China, mm-hmm. and those people over there are making 25 cents a day. I know that isn't the exact number. Don't try to get me technical people, but making nothing. Right, right. To make those shoes that you're wearing and a pretty much... In slavery, yes, to produce yes. those shoes, and that we pay two hundred dollars for, like it yes, ain't nothing. Yes, those athletes probably wouldn't care. Like, so they want, they want these people that have instilled this system that is in, put in place for them to benefit from to care about their plight exactly that they're benefiting from but they don't care about the plight of those under them as well oh man you know what i'm saying oh man it's 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 crazy that circle how it goes and how much we actually i don't want to use the word complain because if you say complain that makes it seem like it doesn't have severity to it right because like i said i'm I'm an advocate for them getting paid but i feel like if they say you know what we ain't wearing no more nikes until they get paid in china yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. Then I right. feel like doors start to open and people start to move and people start to think and things start to happen. Exactly. But most of the time that don't happen because that same person that wants to get paid for their services, like, I look good in these Nikes. They feel good. You most know what I'm saying? definitely. That brand. Most definitely. I, I don't know if I really care about... Uh, Chung Chung Lee, <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly, <laughs> making 25 cents. But I said I won't go on too deep. But I, w- I really wanted to bring that home and, oh. and pick it back off that. But uh, oh yeah. man, no. but, but yeah, man. So you said that you were in year three in your air force career when you went through this, and you were deployed for how long? For seven months. For, that's a long time to worry about yeah. your life in jeopardy every day. Yes, that's a long time. Yes, um, so. You know, I met you when you were in year 30. So <laughs> I was going to see if he caught <laughs> oh, that. That's cold bloody. He's trying to give away my age real quick. Yeah. Oh. He was about 20 years in, <laughs> not 30. Oh. But anyway, uh, yeah, so bring us up to date. Like, how does that situation, like, was that still affecting you when I met you? Was it more on top of that? Like, bring us full circle with with that story and how it relates to when we met and what you were going through.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, by the time I got to, I'd say, four months into my deployment, after after dealing with seeing all those patients in that traumatic position, you know, uh, it's hitting me right now. So, sorry if I'm, you know, slowing down a little bit. It's, it's just uh, the visuals are so fresh or whatever, but just seeing so many casualties um, eventually I had to shut off my emotions because even dealing with just Americans that were hurt that bad and hearing them screaming when we got them off the back of the aircraft and loaded them on the ambulance buses and just seeing them in the, the state that they were in like to be a human being who cares about people and that, that that's compassionate. After a while, just dealing with that day after day after day. I mean, because we would go out, pick up people, bring them in, take them to surgery, and then we would go right back out and get more. So you, I was constantly seeing Americans that were injured and seeing the people that injured them and having to care for those people that put them in that position, I had to shut my, mind, my emotions off. So about, like I said, about halfway through, uh, my deployment, I just, I just shut down. Essentially. I was there, I was, I was aware, um, and I could be around my coworkers and I could laugh and joke, but, I was more or less walking around numb, just, you know, in Terminator mode. I didn't have no really had no feelings like that just because it was just too difficult to. There was no way I could make it through the day and actually do my job without breaking down. So when I came back. And dealing with just being back in the great U.S. of A and dealing with. With traffic and people cutting you off, trying to get where they're trying to get, and uh, dealing with people complaining in Walmart because they want to get a they want to return something and they can't get cash, they got to get a gift card. Or hear people complain about their iPad. You know, they want an iPad instead of a Kindle, or just seeing you know how poorly some people would treat each other here. When some of the things that were quote unquote upsetting were so trivial. When you look at, like you were just saying, you got both legs, you got both arms. Uh, Nobody tried to blow you up today. Um, You didn't have to see anybody get blown up, you know. So it was just difficult dealing with that. And then also dealing with the pace of life. So by the time you were coming in the clinic, that gear was still there, like that that gear where trying to treat patients that walked in and out of the clinic. When I was treating patients that, I mean, I had to teach people how to feed themselves again. I had to teach people how to sit up. I just teach people how to stand. I had to teach kids how to use crutches after their leg was blown off. It was difficult just taking care of your average ankle sprain. Just just a comparison. Because in my head, I'm like, okay, you got an ankle sprain. You don't even need to be in the clinic, bro. I mean, you don't know say it takes a and then keep it moving. Because yeah. you don't really have an injury, you know. So, being in that, my, my, that state of mind and just trying to come back to being normal, it was just very hard to adjust. But for me... After a period of time, you know, life just goes on. So by the time we met, that was still going on in the background. But at the same time, me dealing with the appreciation for life is how I still remain trying my best to be positive. But when you were coming in the clinic, essentially. It was almost like I was two people, you know, Um, In a lot of ways, very positive, uh, trying to give out the best that I could possibly give to people, always trying to smile, always trying to laugh, always trying to joke, always trying to make sure every patient that came in the clinic got the best care I could give them. But at the same time, I was in a lot of pain. Um, I was depressed. Um, I had really bad anxiety. Uh, Just dealing with personal relationships like friendships and um, um, just intimate relationships were difficult just because just the perspective of life has shifted. You know, um, like a friend of mine said about just being deployed and being in that experience and coming back, it's like the world doesn't make sense anymore. You know, your whole perspective is shifted because we literally saw death we li- we literally saw you know people pass away you know I lost a lot of patience so seeing that um, it it just made it just makes just the everyday things just difficult so um yeah it was hard to find purpose uh, we talked about that yep. you know that's where that's what your big thing is that I appreciate about you is is uh you 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 know what your purpose is and you you and I knew that about you and so for my appreciation for life and appreciation for you I wanted to make sure that I supported that but at the same time outside of work uh, it was ugly you know I would and I still do sometimes some days you know uh, I'm suicidal And it's not even one of those things that that's that's the crazy thing about depression and suicidal ideation is not one of those things where I'm sad. It's not sadness, you know, and it's not that I have a lack of appreciation for things. I mean, I can tell you everything that I am grateful for, but I'm still depressed. Like, that's the difference. You know, a lot of times, hey, I lost this this job or whatever that might make me sad quote unquote or i wanted to get a red bins but all they had was black oh man that might make me sad mm-hmm. but depression is just something completely different uh so whenever i looked at my life it was difficult for me too just from a mental perspective because i started comparing my situation to the people that I took care of when I was deployed and I know one of the biggest things that I can't remember who, where the quote came from, but you probably heard it. Compassion is a thief of joy or comparison. Comparison. Joy. So I couldn't really give myself room to be feeling the way I felt. So it's like I, I carried around and still sometimes carry this guilt because I've seen people with real problems, with real challenges. Mm-hmm. So how can I possibly have post-traumatic stress disorder when I took care of somebody that lost their arms and legs yeah. or somebody that, you know, uh, they're on a colostomy bag now or whatever the case may be, or somebody that lost their eye or, you uh, loss a part of their face or whatever it would be you know it's hard for me to and it still is it's just hard for me to to deal with the challenges in my life compared to that those type of individuals challenges it's like it's not fair for me to compare what I'm feeling to what they must be feeling mm-hmm. so a lot of a lot of uh just just the difficulty was from that perspective so just trying to hype myself up and trying to find positive things to think about gratitude practice i mean these are things that i have to be disciplined with you know so even when you were coming in the clinic um that was a part of my, my my routine part of my 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 daily practice is just trying to be grateful for different things just because it's easy for me to to go into that dark place or It's easy for me to get get irritated or it's easy for me to get into that terminator mode. Like sometimes it still happens, you know, um, it's like I start to become action oriented. I'm a high producer at work. You know, ever since I came back, I have been, and it's more or less just because trying to slow down is a challenge Mm -hmm. because after being deployed, it's like that energy, that adrenaline rush, is there and it's almost like I was operating off adrenaline for seven months straight and then I came back and just trying to deal with just how slow paced life can be Um, that's, that's also something that was difficult so that's why I always stay engaged and plugged in but yeah when you were coming in the clinic and we were talking about different things I could relate to a lot of what you were going through in terms of how you were feeling but at the same time I wanted to, I wanted to build you up, you know, um, because in those moments where I feel at my lowest, I still had that belief that that it'll pass, mm-hmm. even though I don't feel it. I just have that concept that the next day is going to be better, or this too shall pass, or this storm can only last so long, or whatever it may be. So I wanted to make sure I did, did that for you, but. But yeah, every day is a struggle, man. So um, I don't know if you remember the female supervisor that I had. I think this was before you. But at any rate, uh, she's a good friend of mine. And one of the things that also happened before you started coming into clinic is she ended up having a stillbirth. Mm. And it was like she was it was two weeks before she was supposed to give birth. Mm hmm. And it just devastated me because the bad thing about it is the situation at work was one where the culture wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Our working relationship was great, but, you know, the, uh, the leaders that were in charge weren't really compassionate when it came down to it. You know, they were more focused on, quote unquote, the mission yeah. or the sales or the metrics or the numbers yeah. versus the people. So. Uh, when that happened, uh, that just took took me. Um, it added it added to. It took me to a dark place. And a lot of a lot of the days and weeks before you were coming in there, like I would I would fall out at work, break down crying. I would have to leave work early. Um, like my anxiety was so bad, I would literally I would be driving to work and my hands would be shaking. Like on the steering wheel, my hands like I'm not even joking. Now it's not coffee. It wasn't five hour energy. It was just literally that bad. So, um, and it's just been like that for for years. But after you do something for a while, you've lived a certain way for a while. It just becomes the norm, you know. So it just became
0: normal for me. Could could you quickly tell us about? Was there like a breaking point? Did you reach a a particular event where everything came to a head where it was like, okay, this is all of the anxiety and depression or whatever led me to here. It led me to combust. And as a result of my combustion, combusting, this happened. Oh yeah, definitely. What was that? Definitely.
1: That was about a year ago. And I had been to mental health about three times since I had been back from my deployment. And the first time I went was probably about three weeks after my deployment. And then they told me those kind of feelings are normal and they would go away. They didn't say, you know, was anything to be worried about or concerned about, but they just didn't go away. And also... Being in that military mindset of being a warrior and overcomer, um, I just didn't know when to quit. I didn't know when to throw in the towel. I didn't know when to raise my hand and say, hey, um, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, As a man, I, uh, we don't show weakness. Yeah. You know, we Especially show, as a black man. Oh man, especially yeah. as a black man. Yeah, we don't show weakness. You yeah. know, we laugh. We know how to have a good time, and nobody better not touch my piece of chicken. That's what we know. We going in. The big piece of chicken. Yeah, for real. And and don't touch a black man radio either. Don't do it. Don't do it. Chris Tucker told y'all that in rush hour. Don't do it. Don't ever touch a black man's radio. There you go. So, but dealing with um, depression or asking for help even for anything The answer that we always use is, I got this, you know, Um, and and I'm self-made and, you know, uh, beast mode and all that kind of stuff. So asking for help just wasn't 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 going down. And also because I didn't have a background where uh, my family went and and sought mental health help. Um, It just wasn't a part of what I would think to do, you know, Um, if I if I broke my leg, I immediately think to go to the doctor. But with dealing with mental issues again, I don't know. I didn't know when was when. So about a year ago, it all came to a head when this was one day at work. I was I was doing what I normally do, being positive, with other people and I remember it was like the lights just went out like everything just went gray you know
0: literally or figuratively like figuratively okay so
1: remember like kind of like I was telling you about halfway through my deployment I kind of shut my emotions off yeah yeah yeah. Uh it was like man I'm blowing up a <laughs> man, is that you, you text me? yeah man I had to get you back you know what <laughs> I'm saying <laughs> but uh, so Everything it was like everything went gray. It was it was the darkest I've ever been. And it was I don't think I wanna I don't think I wanna be here anymore.
0: Like be I, by, explained like, by being in Panama City, like, be, no, a, be to the Air Force Base, mm, be in the Air Force nowhere. Or be in in life.
1: Yeah, I, nowhere. I didn't mm-hmm. want to be here, period, in life, and I didn't want to be anywhere.
0: I and this was just there. random.
1: Random Mm. yeah it wasn't any particular event uh, that happened it was just random it was just one day i was just i I don't think i want to be here anymore you know like i think i'm i think i'm good you know like if i went outside and died in a car crash i'm good you know i've lived however many years and i've done x y and z and i don't i don't i don't really need to be here i don't need to do anymore it was just and the the crazy thing is that that wasn't crazy quote unquote the crazy thing is is in that state of mind you don't i couldn't challenge it you know like if 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 you came to me and you said that to me my immediate response to you would be like whoa 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 whoa, jay wait a minute now yeah yeah yeah. destroying doubt man you know there's man you got so much to live for and in that state of mind i could list everything that i was grateful for and everything that i had to live for but it's like i mean it, it didn't even matter it was like okay you know i'm ready to go so along with that the anxiety was wrapping up and so just being around people you know was making me uncomfortable and so at this point mental health had only seen me and given me techniques and tools like deep breathing and grounding exercises and stuff like that which helped to help to a point but they had not prescribed me with any medication and they never gave me a diagnosis So I was still running free reign uh, without any medication support, and what I started doing was self-medicating with alcohol, and essentially at that point, when when everything went dark, I wanted to commit suicide. I was I was driving on base. I remember that day. I was driving on base going into work and it wasn't even where I didn't want to go to work it was just again I just did not want to be there um and I went to work and I was working that morning and saw my patients but I wasn't I wasn't the 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 Chris that that you knew I was the Chris that was just getting by checking the checking the boxes you know, my coworkers didn't really notice any issue because I was still getting work done and getting work done at a high level. And I was still trying my best to be positive. So my coworkers couldn't really see it, but I went to lunch and that was it. And I felt like the world was such a negative place. People didn't care, you know. Uh, People aren't taking care of each other. Uh, The world is horrible, and why do I want to be here if everything's so bad? And uh, being in an environment where I've seen people treat each other like, I mean, like gum on the bottom of their shoe or something like that. So when I went to lunch, I went uh, to the convenience store well, it's the shop at for the yeah. people that, that that non-military is basically like you know and, like and, a little, and
0: they keep the yak on deck they keep it they keep <laughs> it they
1: keep it so i went went to the shop Ed and got me some of that yak and i drove back to work and i'm out in the parking lot
0: how how much and i'm not trying to be funny i promise you not i'm just trying to paint the picture for the listener like yeah how much did you drink at that time and how much did you normally drink to self-medicate yourself if you don't mind sharing
1: oh yeah yeah um normally to to self-medicate let's say i might have maybe two or three beers something like that um and not even on a nightly basis. Like I, I wasn't like drinking every day, um, just when I was feeling my worst yeah. is when I would actually drink. But that particular day, when I, uh, when and I don't know the sizes and all that either. So I, I don't know what, yeah, yeah, some yeah. people say handle and all was, I don't even know what that is, but uh, I went to the shop at and I actually bought a bottle a $20 bottle of absolute. So to my drinkers out there, you know how if you if you spend 20, you know what i you know what <laughs> I'm talking about. So uh I got it and I drove back to work. And and this is this is how crazy my mind was working at the time. I got so upset by how everybody was treating everybody else that I actually already didn't want to be here. I already wanted to commit suicide. And I actually wanted to die at work. To let people know how bad it was. That the guy that was always positive, that the guy that was always helping people, that the guy that was always winning awards, that the guy that would give you the shirt off his back committed suicide. What's going on? in the world or whatever it may be. So I took that bottle and I downed probably about 80% of the bottle like that to the head. Now, like I said, normally when I was self-medicate, I'll have maybe two or three beers or maybe two or three shots or something like that. You know, so I drunk more than half the bottle like I mean literally just popped it go 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 and I went into work and I went in my office because it was still lunchtime and I and I shut the door and I shut I turned the light off and that's the last thing I remembered and I thought sure that I wasn't going to wake up I thought I was going to die in my office just like at that at that time and in my mindset, that is what I wanted to happen. And I thought that that was about to happen. Um, well, my coworkers came in, knocked on the door. And, you know, I told them to go away, go away, go away. Uh, they went and got a hold of one of my leaders, my supervisors. They came in.